Algar Productions. Welcome to the Post-Atomic Horror, the most comprehensive Star Trek podcast ever produced, with your hosts, Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 387, covering The Brightest Star and The Escape Artist. Hi friends, we're back? We're back after, well, I mean to you it's been no time at all, but for us it's been a month. We sound like time travelers in a shitty time travel story. To you, it has been no time at all. <laughs> the question isn't where we are, but when uh, we are. <laughs> shut all the way the hell up. <laughs> shut the entire hell up. Uh, Look at me, yeah, we... I'm, ev- I'm every time travel thing ever. <laughs> or when every time travel, no, that doesn't work That joke all. was in the first time travel story, The Time Machine. <laughs> yes. And and every subsequent one, I assume. Mm-hmm. Wasn't the original time travel story the Bible? I mean, in that time went forward, I guess. I, I have no idea. I just... Yeah. <laughs> there are people who will point to, like, oh, but yeah, the first superhero was Jesus. Mm, okay. <laughs> I mean, so, I don't think so, but I... Okay, I he, listen... He never hit I mean, anybody with a car, so... I mean, look, pre, pre-Crisis Jesus, I guess, but, you know, he doesn't count anymore. It's not canon anymore. Man, pre-Crisis Jesus was a jerk. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But on the uh, other hand, so... Mary Magdala was always trying to trick him into falling in love with her, so... <laughs> well, wasn't that the last temptation of Christ? Just one elaborate Lois Lane plot? Yep, basically. <clears throat> and then at the end, Jesus had an ant for a head. Oh. Well, I mean, that's that is what happens. Mm-hmm. I guess. Yep. How the hell did we get here? <laughs> Jesus Christ, best best pal, Judas. Uh, happy 2019, everyone. We are clearly on topic and on point. Uh-huh. We got two very short episodes to talk about, so there's probably going to be a lot of this. Yeah, basically. Uh, w- would you say, this, mm. this is my impression, I certainly don't want to speak for you, mm-hmm. but would you say... These were two very good uh, representations of, of Star Trek. Absolutely. I'm going to say this right now. This is an indication of sort of what we're going... If the, the four shorts have been an indication of what we're going into in season two of Discovery, I'm very excited for where for uh, the show to come back. Yeah. I had a checklist of things I wish they did a little better, mm-hmm. and they pretty much hit all of them. Yeah. More, like, character-driven stuff that isn't just about Michael. I love Michael, Mm -hmm. but I want to know more about other guys. Yep. A little more levity, Mm -hmm. a little more of that hopeful future, that that optimistic, idealistic future. Not not smug future man Gene stuff, but, you know, Mm -hmm. just more hopeful. Uh, Some some straight-up sci-fi. Like, there's there's so much more of all of that. It feels more fun and more like an adventure and less like uh, something we have to endure. Yeah, absolutely. Which is nice, and I don't mean I don't mean in the sense that we had to endure Enterprise. I mean in the sense that the characters have to like they're constantly fighting grim, dark, you know, bleakness. Yeah, I mean we said this at the time, but like I'm really hopeful that now that we're coming out of the war, we're getting into more more trekky Star Trek. Yeah, there there was no like serious violence in any of these. There mm-hmm. was no like like you know big bad dangerous enemy it was all just like sort of thoughtful but also interesting yeah but but they also weren't like none of them were boring well that's what i mean yeah like it's 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 a hard line to walk with star trek and that's why you want you know the show to be good yeah right of course it's a hard line to walk but if you're gonna put yourself out there and write a star trek show 
do that. Mm. It's not impossible. No. And uh, it, yeah, I think especially these two, I would say this this is the tone I want. You yeah. have something really hopeful and inspiring in the first one and something just goofy and fun in the second yeah. one. And it's great. Now, these really this came is, together. Real. Yeah. And they're going to be doing more of these. I don't know if you heard. I did. Yeah. Uh, after uh, the season wraps up, we're getting a couple yeah. more. So, you know, uh, the schedule of our show is still sort of TBD based on what they're dropping. Yeah, but, we're we're uh, we're really in the weeds now, guys. Like, yeah, we don't as... know what most of 2019 is going to look like. Yeah. But but uh, um, if if they drop right after season two, we'll be on them. Yep. Um, after this week, we will be reviewing more or less in real time. And I want to put this out here now and I'll, I'll say this a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, we've discussed it. New episodes of Discovery drop on Thursday nights, apparently. Yeah, um, we record Friday mornings or Saturday mornings if we have a yeah. guest. That gives us very little time for show prep. Like, yeah, last last season they were dropping Sunday nights, and I was thinking, good, that gives us the whole week to watch, mm-hmm. to, to think about it, to to write our summaries, to to revise our summaries. This gives us almost no time at all, and I feel like we may fail. I'm yeah. just going to put that out there right now. We may not be able to keep up with that schedule. We're going to try. Yeah. But there may be a week where we got to say, hey, uh, we're putting this on pause next week. We'll be coming out, you know, Mm -hmm. nine days later instead of two days later. Yeah. So just bear that in mind. We're going to give it a shot. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of moving parts. Most of it being all the guests, which we very much want on the show. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And you and I can pretty much always be counted upon to to watch a thing and show up and record the thing. Mm -hmm. But when you have other people scheduled, like we because we're locked in, we've been doing this for almost nine years. Yeah. But other people have, you know, schedules, mm-hmm. like lives. So that may be I wonder what that's challenging like. to work around. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, we have lives in a sense. I have other podcasts at least. Sure. That's like a life. Uh-huh. <laughs> you have a very long commute. That's something. <laughs> it's like a life. I'm just saying we do other things with our lives. Yeah, I stare out a window a lot of the time. Yeah. I mean, me too, but I can also do that and pretend to be working because I'm a writer. Yeah, but sometimes, like, a bird will walk past your window. Well, that's true. Sometimes a bird will kill another bird. Sometimes a bird will walk past my window. Oh, yeah. I I think my view is better than yours. Uh, Yeah, I would agree with that. All right. So, scenic Portland. (laughs) With that in mind, with with not not the homeless guy, the the other part, the, the thing about us reviewing in real time. With that in mind, next week, hopefully. We will begin with uh, Discovery Season 2 just a couple of days after it drops. Mm-hmm. Uh, the episode is called Brother, so look forward to that. But I, I guess first we got to... Re- I, I feel like I'm wrapping up the show. I guess we yeah, need right. to actually start this one. Yeah, probably. So, you know, six and a half minutes. That's as good a time as any, I I guess. mean, look. <laughs> Again, these are shorts. Sure. So, And it's been a month and like a month since we've, we've sat down and talked. Mm-hmm. So, a lot to talk about. All right. Why don't I tell you what happened in The Brightest Star? Yeah. Our story begins with Saru and some other Kelpians gathering kelp in what I assume must be called, like, Kelpia or Kelpius Prime or Kelpistan. Oh, oh, it's Kaminar. Huh. Good then. Saru and his family are apparently typical of Kelpians, modest, primitive, robe-wearing folk who sacrifice themselves to a technologically advanced race known as the Ba'ul. For reasons. Now, you or I might think living like this would be total bogus bullshit, and hey, look at that. That's also what Saru thinks. 
And so, when he finds a piece of advanced technology left behind by the Ba'ul, he keeps the thing hidden from his sister Serana and his father Serucifer. Not appearing in this episode are their other sister Serenifer, their mother Seruth, cousin Serusi, uncle Serubert, and his partner Seraja, because they've all been sacrificed to the Ba'ul already. Eventually, Saru figures out how the Ba'ul technology works and uses it to contact someone. Anyone who doesn't live on this backwards-ass planet. He's not picky. And yet, despite, or perhaps perhaps because of this, he makes contact with the greatest human living in this era of Trek, Philippa Georgiou. Georgiou, who's only a lieutenant at this point, visits Saru, praises his ingenuity, and offers to take him away with her. Gee, Saru replies, let me think. Am I ready to leave my terrible life harvesting seaweed and waiting for an inevitable death that I have no choice of participating in? Yes, of course I fucking am! As they depart in a shuttlecraft, the classic Star Trek fanfare plays, and, you know, for the first time in I don't know how long, it actually feels 100% earned. I, I love this one so much. This is so, this is so perfect Star Trek. Yeah, it is. It really is that quintessential, like, hopefulness and, like, um... I can be better, like, improving your life and, and yeah. you know, like the, all the, of that. The, the very idea of, well, this is how we've always done things, so and we're always going to do things this way. I don't want to do that. Like, it's that's my favorite thing, basically. It's such a, it's such a standard stock sci-fi story. Yeah, but it's like, great. It is. I, I like that aspect of it. There's, there's things about that I have a problem with, though. Like, the, generally speaking, someone living in a stifling society and wanting to better themselves and, and see what's out there is great and is so Star Trek, and mm -hmm. I'm glad they did that. But specifically, this is my bad thing. Mm -hmm. Do we really need another weird pseudo-post-apocalyptic culture where dirt farmers, your favorite thing, <laughs> uh, pay some kind of quasi-religious tribute to more advanced people, and it's given a name like the Tributening or something? See, I actually, I like how this this episode answers a lot of questions I had about how Saru's people actually work. Yeah, and apparently Doug Jones also. He's like, I did not realize it was like this until they gave me this script. This makes a lot more sense now. Yeah, no, well, they call them a, they call them a prey species in uh -huh. the show. And I assumed that meant they were, like, living on a planet full of monsters that were, like, constantly chasing them and stuff. You yeah, know? I pictured them like gazelles, basically. Yeah, exactly. And to have the them be prey to other other aliens who are apparently just coming and picking them off that makes a lot more sense it does and and again in broad strokes i like that it's just that specific that hunger gamesy sort of, i mean one of the times we did one of our crossovers with the gals we did that british thing that was basically this thing yeah i thought of that too actually and it's in so much young adult fiction but it's in so much just post apocalypse you mm. know what i'm talking about oh totally like, You've probably read way more of this than I have because I tire of it very easily. I just it's, listen it's, every 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 eighth month we have to prepare for the doomening, and it never makes any sense. It doesn't make sense here either. Why? Why do these Baul people want? What do they call it? The harvest or something? Yeah, it's, I'm sure it's the harvest. It's always the fucking harvest. Yeah. It. But why do they want them? Reasons. <laughs> I don't know. And again. Well, For I mean, like I, I mentioned this before, I sort of feel like this is something they'll pick up in the sh in the series now. Could be, could be. I'd be interested in knowing more about this if it makes more sense. If it does, like to be clear, I've said this from day one. Mm. If this the premise and the setting doesn't make one hundred percent sense, but it's true to the character and the character has a great arc, I don't care. Yeah, and that's what it comes down to because Saru's 
arc here is so, I mean, it's so simple, but it's also really effective. Mm-hmm. And Doug Jones fucking nails it. Like, everything about that is great. Yeah. It's, it, you know, it could be a little less hacky and a little less cliched, the, the background part, but all the bits about him were perfect. I mean, that's the thing. Like, it, it might be, it might be, like, you know, cliche, but it really, it works for this character. Like, yeah, it does. I just, you know, it's just one of those things. Sure. That, like, I, when I first saw, like, the the first couple of minutes of the episode, I'm like, oh, oh boy, another one of these, huh? But, you know, then it took some twists and turns that yeah. I really liked. Yeah. And fucking, well, let's talk about your good thing. And then we'll get into that. I mean, like, I really like Saru's entire deal as a pre-warp alien who contacts Starfleet and then brings in Giorgio as the woman who freed him from, like, this horrible world. Like, mm-hmm. it's it, it strengthens, strengthens their relationship so much. Like, you can really see how why he was so fucking pissed at Michael for mm-hmm. most of season one. Uh-huh. It's just like... And it makes Giorgio a more interesting character, which I would have thought would be impossible because she's already great. Well, and, and you know, you, you kind of cheated there. I mean, yes. That's two good things. I suppose that's true. Which is forbidden under Pa Law, and now we must fight with knives. <laughs> but uh, really, though, my, my specific good thing was Giorgio. Like, mm-hmm. I did not... like. When the when the shuttle came down the first time I saw it, I was like, "Well, I would love for this to be Georgia, but there's no way they got Michelle Yeoh for this 15 minute short." Yep, she's too busy for this. Come on, like this this web exclusive 15 minute, no one's ever gonna see it thing. She's got better things to do. And then it was her, and it was yep. like, "Yay!" Yeah, I love the idea that she's going around the quadrant collecting damaged people with potential. Yeah, like the ship that her by the time she's captain of the Shenzhou, it's the ship is just full of people she picked up. Yeah. Her, like, Michael and Saru and everyone, like, everyone there has a story where they were struggling to to fit in wherever it is they were, mm-hmm. and Giorgio saw their potential and picked them up and, and brought them to her ship. Yeah. I, every single person on the, and most of them are dead now, mm-hmm. but still. And it really makes me wish and hope that if they are going to give her a spinoff that it's about, like, prime Giorgio before she died and not mirror Giorgio in Section 31. That's the thing. Giorgio, like... Prime Giorgio is such an interesting character, and she's so much more interesting than evil Giorgio, who yeah. I also like. But... Oh, no, she's she's fun in a campy sort of once-a-season, you know, cackle and, and have fun with it way. Yeah, that's the thing. I would like evil Giorgio to show up as, a re- as an occasionally reoccurring villain. I would watch an entire show about uh, Prime Giorgio. Yeah, and, like... The thing we kept, one of the many things we kept complaining about in Enterprise, but probably the main thing, mm-hmm. was that the captain was so not only unlikable, but just not did not live up to the basic ideals we expect from Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And getting back to that, like, like she'd be great on her own. Yeah. But from the perspective of this show, from going through all of Star Trek, and this was the next captain we saw after a full year of Archer, mm-hmm. was like, yes, this this is what we've been talking about. Her. Exactly her. Well, she's like, she's a woman who's just so completely empathetic. Empathetic? Empathetic? Is yeah. that right? Yeah. With uh-huh. just everybody. I love that. That is such a great Star Trek trait. But also she's not weak. No. Like when it came down to like, okay, the Klingons are firing on us. She did some pretty hardcore shit. Too. Yeah. Like you, like you, you can't just like walk all over her, but like. Well, it would be very easy to write a female captain. Mm-hmm. As like empathetic and mom like, but weak when it comes to you know 
like the hard choices yeah. and I'm glad they did not fall into that trap. No, you you cannot fuck with this woman. No. Which again I, I, makes it feel like a real waste that a Klingon ate her. Uh yeah, yeah, but on the other hand it does like it strengthens the the loss. Oh, like, totally. We lost a great character that we only knew for two episodes and already knew she was great. Yeah. That's that's impressive. Like for all the stumbles they had in season 1, that was one of the things they got really right. Mhm. Was we really felt that loss. We really like it weighed on Michael the whole season and it kind of weighed on us too. Like, yeah. oh shit. Yeah. She didn't just get somebody killed. She got her killed. Mm-hmm. That, that sucks. You will never be as good as this woman, Michael. No. Oh. Yeah. And she's like, she's the best Star Trek captain I've seen in a long time. Yeah. And I love Janeway. I really did. Mm-hmm. But sorry, Giorgio's better. Yeah. And also, nice. Now, Janeway doesn't have to shoulder the burden of being the only woman captain in all of Star Trek. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, I know there have been side ones, but I mean, as a main character. Yeah, main, like a main character captain. Yeah. So, you know, the the more you diversify that, like, that uh, sample size, the better. Mm-hmm. Also, not, and, also not white or American, so that's nice, yeah, too. Yeah, all of it. Everything, mm-hmm. like, there's nothing I don't like about that character. Yeah. Everything is great, and it was so great to see her. Mm-hmm. And again, if they do that spinoff, I hope it's about the real her and not, like, the bad guy yeah. her. It won't be. But, yeah. you know. Cor- no. Well. Gotta make everything about genocide. Yeah, that's the only thing. <laughs> that's what Star Trek's about, right? Well, I mean, these four shorts didn't, murder. <laughs> didn't do any murder or genocide at all. No, that's true. I mean, I guess what the Ba'ul are doing to the uh we, That's the thing. We, the don't, know what, we don't know what they're doing. It feels pretty genocidey. It feels like like, but, but it's also bad. But all, <laughs> like all we know the is that they're doing it. all we know is that they're vanishing people. That's all we know, and that's, that's true. That's sort of why I want to like I want to get I want to get back to this plot line like at some point in season two. Like, where are these people going? Like, Giorgio talks to Saru about it. Like, she is aware that these people are visiting this planet. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so Starfleet has some knowledge of them at least, and like. I want to know what she told Saru when he when they when she took him with with her. Well, I mean, we saw a bit of that, and and actually, I mean, my quote is just the very beginning of that conversation. Mm. I'll go ahead and play that here. All right. It's a pleasure to finally put a face to the name, Mister Saru. An entirely new face at that. But I mean, she specifically says you can't come back. Yeah. Like. There's both of us, I think, like I didn't write it down because I took my notes during the second viewing, mm-hmm. but I saw your note like, how is this not a prime directive thing? And then she says, yeah, she flat out says, like, I had to fight for this. Like, yeah, the very idea of a of a, a, a planet contacting yeah, us pre-warp. Is yeah, a huge deal. Yeah. And the fact that you sought us out, that you had the technological know how to seek us out means uh, we can make an exception. Yeah, you're not like we're not contacting the culture we're just contacting you mm-hmm. and with the stipulation that if you want to go with us you got to stay gone yeah so but i also like the idea of her arguing for it mm-hmm. like it, it ties into my idea of her just like passionately looking for brilliant people yeah right like just anywhere in the universe like yep i got this signal and oh my god this guy seems cool can we have him please she really is just the most star trek star trek character yeah and that's why i would love to see more of her yeah like i'm 
I'm glad she's dead in the sense of I'm glad those dramatic stakes matter. Mm-hmm. All of season one was built on that, and it would have felt like a shitty cop out if if they brought her back to life. Yeah, can you imagine that show if they hadn't done those first two fucking episodes? I think about that yeah, a oh, lot. Oh God, yeah. No, because we wouldn't know anything. Like, okay, your captain's dead. So what? Yeah, exactly. Right. Lots of captains die. Uh-huh. Big deal. But uh, on the one hand, I'm glad her death mattered and it was important. But on the other hand. I want to go back and see more what happened before. Yeah. You know? This all this episode also really raises my respect for Saru, which was also which was already very high by the end of season uh, well, 1. I thought I only started liking him after he changed on that singing planet, mm-hmm. but it turns out no, he was pretty cool before then. Yeah. Just the idea of you take this guy from fucking from fucking mud planet and like mud with one d, not mud, mud planet. No, not to be confused with mud's planet. Right. Um but no, you take him away from this planet and, like, by the time we catch up with him and discover he's a fucking commander, like... Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's learning everything. Like, we don't know how much time passes between this episode uh, and... Memory Alpha figured it out because they said it was about ten years before the earliest flashback in uh, the pilot. Okay. So, it's I think we're 15 to 20 years before. Okay, that makes sense. Which is quite something. I mean, and and you can kind of puzzle that out too because uh, Georgiou's a lieutenant, yeah. And usually it takes you X a number of years. I don't know off the top of my head, but it takes a certain amount of time on average to to progress through the ranks, unless you're Kirk. Sure. But everyone else, yeah. So yeah, I, I mean, we're at least ten to fifteen, maybe twenty years. But like, before that's discovery. you know, that's really impressive. Yeah. No, it absolutely like, is. The guy and had to plus, learn literally everything. He had to. Yeah. I mean, he had to relearn basic things and then go to the academy and learn all the other stuff yeah. and then rise through the ranks yeah so guess what saru you get uh i don't know some kind of medal i probably got something kicking around here you want to give him your best cup or i is absolutely that too valuable? do not want to give him my best cup okay. uh let's see you can have my enterprise pizza cutter how about that i can picture that perfectly uh i got a uh tom servo toy i could spray paint gold and put on top of a uh box or something <laughs> How about that? I don't think he's going to answer you. Best in science fiction. (laughs) But yeah, he really sold. Because like I said, that is a that is an old story that we've heard a million times. Mm -hmm. The, you know, dreamer on a primitive planet wants better. Yeah. He really made it work. Yep. And a lot of that was in the acting. Mm -hmm. Very pleased with that. Yeah. Uh, What was your bad thing? Uh, What was my bad thing? Oh, yeah. The Kelpians literally harvest kelp. Come on, guys. Yeah. Yeah. It's R- really? Not the best. Yeah. Definitely not. My working theory is that that's what the uh, what Starfleet named them. They're just like, oh, look at them harvest kelp. These are kelpians. I feel like Georgiou would have put more thought into it than that, but someone else must have like looked at her report and said, "You never gave these people a name. You just called them species, you know, 1062 or whatever." Call them kelpians. Uh, they harvest kelpians. Kelpian. Yeah. <laughs> Rick, you're fired. <laughs> You're not allowed to name species anymore. It's like the poochie thing. Anyone have a problem with Kelpian? Sorry, let's go to lunch. It's like the 18th species. Like, the last guys you discovered were called the Beansians, for Christ's sake. Get out of here. <laughs> All right. Anything else about this one? Um, Not a big fan of the, uh, the Kelpian makeup for everybody who isn't Saru. Oh, I disagree. I thought they all looked pretty yeah. good. Everyone just looked slightly cheaper than him, which I get because, like, he's the one that they, you know. Well, yeah, and it's a short. I feel like I feel like they put less money into the shorts than they do in a full episode. Sure. Obviously, so 
But no, it it didn't bother me at all. I thought they looked pretty good. Also, and, there were only two of them. And so. also, the the chunk that fell off the spaceship was definitely a PlayStation Four. Yeah, it it looked. Yeah, it did. I like that the first message that he got was just "Hello, mm-hmm. Jerry." <laughs> hello. <laughs> He's like, I don't know what this means. <laughs> all right. Anything else? Uh-huh. Uh huh. No. Excuse me. The opposite of uh huh. No. <laughs> Okay, yeah, we we are professional podcasters entering our ninth year of Star Trek podcasting and tenth year of overall podcasting. Uh-huh. <laughs> we can answer each other's simple questions and anticipate each other's needs. Mm-hmm. Oh, Honey, I suppose you want me to read my talking. summary now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, if you could, tell us about the escape artist. All right, so Harcourt Fenton Mudd awakens from his newest beating to discover that he's being sold to an angry Tellarite with a stolen cudgel. Tale as old of time as time, am I right? Tellwright's preparing to deliver him to Starfleet for his sizable bounty. And also, Mud slept with his sister, so there's a macho thing involved here. Mud tries everything he can to escape from bribery, he has no money, to a common foe, the Tellwright has no foes, to outright Ferengi-style begging, this helps no one. None of which works. Mud also reflects on past times that aliens have captured him. Apparently it happens quite a lot. The short is called the, the Escape Artist, but Harry seems to have very little art when it comes to this. Mostly he yells and cries a lot. Eventually, the Tellarite returns Mud to Starfleet, only to discover that he is, in fact, one of many, many Mud androids that the real Harry has been shipping out to bounty hunters all over the galaxy. Joke's on you, Starfleet! Enjoy your jerk-ass free robots! <laughs> yeah, this was really fun. This was great. I had so much fun playing. I mean, I'm gonna roll into my good thing right now. Uh, okay. I love Rain Wilson's version of Harry Mud. I talked about this on uh, um, Magic to Drive the Sanest Man Mad. Like, uh-huh. he, I would not have thought recasting him as Harry Mudd and making Harry Mudd a main character in, or at least a reoccurring character in uh, Discovery would be a good idea. But I love this character. Like, mm-hmm. he's pathetic and sleazy, but he's still just threatening enough to be dangerous. You know, mm-hmm. like, CBS, if you're going to keep pumping out different Star Trek shows about villains for us to watch, maybe consider this one. My thing is, I agree with you 100%. I think he's great. Mm -hmm. He's fun to watch. He's interesting. He's the kind of character that we don't get enough of in Star Trek sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we like in DS9, we had Quark and we had people who associated with Quark. But for the most part, we don't get guys like this. We get the virtuous, you know, straight arrow Starfleet guys. Mm -hmm. But I wish he wasn't Harry Mudd. It's such a minor thing and I don't really care that much. But couldn't he just be this exact character and not be Harry Mudd? I mean, it's the thing we keep coming back to with... Not just yeah. Star Trek, but everything these days, man. Uh, people want something they've heard of, but nobody like heard nobody of outside of nobody outside of like in th- like original series enthusiasts know who Harry Mudd is. Most people now know Next Gen. That doesn't even matter anymore because now you can have like a BuzzFeed article that's like, "Did you know that Harry Mudd used to be on the original series?" Yeah, I know. It's just it's the we only already thing know. that matters anymore. We already know in this world that Harry Mudd and uh, Cyrano Jones exist. Why not just make another guy who's just like that and call him something else? Yeah, well, I I keep telling you, man, the philosophy is why introduce something new when you can introduce something people have heard of. But uh, it's, uh, I guess. I, I mean, I get I, you. Look, but... man, I agree with you, but, like, this is the world we live in. No, this is what we have, and I think he's quite good. And it makes me hopeful because my reaction coming into season two, oh, good, Spock, mm-hmm. again is maybe that'll be good, too. Yeah. Maybe they'll put a new spin on him or at least understand the character enough to make it still interesting yeah. or whatever. But, you know, mm-hmm. that's all. Now, at this point, like, at this point, Discovery's won me over enough that I'm at least, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic about where they're going with that. 
But even still, he's if he's going to be this recurring guy, and he signed on for, like, I mean, contractually, he signed on for a bunch of appearances, yep. and he might not make them all. Yeah. But it's kind of like um, when Sam Jackson signed up for, like, nine Marvel movies, and we're like, nine Marvel movies? Yeah. And then... <laughs> Fifteen Marvel like, movies later. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, he's going to keep doing them, right? Uh-huh. And I don't know, like, if they're recurring you know, shows up once a season and, and vexes the crew guy is going to be Harry. I, I don't know. I just, couldn't you make your own guy? Yeah. Well, that's all. Yeah. But if, if this is what we have and it is, mm-hmm. I do like him. Like yeah. he's a lot of fun. Yeah. And my good thing is there's bits of him that are like so much of a cliche mm-hmm. and they know that. Yeah. And they fucking hang a lantern on it. He, he actually says, we're not so different, you and I. And they actually turned it into a joke. Yeah. He says it, and the Telluride guy rolls his eyes so hard and just laughs at him. He's like, does that line ever work? Mm-hmm. I, that's the only acceptable use of of cliches like that. Mm-hmm. Like having people call it out and just say, are you really saying that with your mouth right now? <laughs> like if they could similarly kill, it's ironic, isn't it? I'd be a very happy <laughs> But I mean, like, I love it for him because, like, he'll he'll literally try anything. Like, yes, <laughs> that's this whole episode is just him trying every pot. Like you <clears throat> said in your summary, yeah. Like he tries the, all the angles and none of them work. Like the dude does. The dude has no like self awareness or anything. Like he will go from I will I will kill you to I will give you fifty dollars if you let me go on mm-hmm. a dime and not and not think anything of it. Yep. No, it's great, and I love the way the episode is structured where we keep triggering flashbacks to him doing it over and over again yeah, and right? it being just as ineffectual as it always is. Yeah, this is always it is always bad except for the one time when it when it almost works on some guy. Oh yeah, the 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 stupid Orion. Yeah, because that's the thing. It doesn't all it it never works except for the one time it does work and that's all he wants. Oh my god, that Orion, like the casting on him mm-hmm. was perfect. Yeah. He was what was it? The Seinfeld episode where uh Elaine dated stupid guys. They called them uh mimbos, I think. Yeah. Like male bimbos. That guy just had a perfect mimbo, like like chiseled, handsome as hell, like sexy, yep. but so dumb looking. Yep. And we spent 20 seconds with him and I got all of that. Like, oh yeah, he's gonna fall for this. Look at him. Look mm-hmm. at the idiot. And this is your quote, isn't it? This is it? actually where my quote comes from. I love this scene so much. I'm telling you, I'm rich. You let me down from here. I'll make it worth your while. Hmm? I'm listening. You'll never have to set foot in a slum like this again. I'll give you so much latinum, you'll be able to wear a cape, and nobody will be able to say anything because rich people get to do whatever they want. Your enemies will be positively green with envy. Greener. Hmm so to speak. You'll be invited to only the finest soirees. I would look good in a cape. You would look amazing in a cape. Yeah, that that would have been my choice as well. The phrase, you'll get to wear a cape and no one can say anything about it because you're rich and rich people have, yeah. and rich people get to do whatever they want is so good. You would look terrific in a cape. I would look terrific in a cape. Yeah, it's so good. And then the the, the eye-rolly uh, Orion woman who comes in and says, Carl, get out of here. No, she says, there's a camera right there. Yeah, I can see everything. And, and he's, uh, uh, I, I almost had him. Get out of here. <laughs> so good. That's how long has it been since Star Trek truly understood? And we talked about this with Mud's first appearance, but truly understood jokes and yeah. funny, like funny, a funny episode. Yeah, right. 
I mean, Voyager had um, Captain Proton, mm-hmm. but they also had a lot of failed attempts at levity with Neelix, with later episodes with the Doctor, with Fairhaven. Yep. But they did do Captain Proton. Yeah. Uh, and then before that, you have to go back to like DS9 to like uh, Trials and Tribulations or Arman Bashir. Like, I mean, yeah, like, I, well, it's look, been a long time. If there's one thing we can say about Enterprise, it was that there was not a single joke in in four years no. of that show. No, four years, 98 episodes. There's not one that was just kind of a light. I mean, uh, Trip Gets Pregnant was kind of like that, I guess, but not really. Yeah. It just. Uh... It's so nice to see it back. Yeah, it you really don't is. always have to take it seriously. It doesn't invalidate. Like that was Gene Roddenberry's thing mm-hmm. was like, don't do funny episodes because it it undercuts the seriousness of the show. And then he went on vacation and they made fucking the trouble with Tribbles. Yep. And they're like, no, what it does, it provides a nice like light counterpoint to some of the heavier episodes mm-hmm. so that it makes them even better. Yeah, well. You can do the Trouble with Tribbles and then, like, a week later do the Doomsday Machine. Yeah, like, that's why the original series was very good. Yes. For a while. And then he went away again and they made, like, a piece of the action. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the, the fun episodes of that show only happened when he was not around. Yeah, well. And when he lost control of the movies, they did The Voyage Home. Mm-hmm. And he hated it. Yeah, I know. And that's, like, that's the one that, like, nobody likes Star Trek. Nobody cares much about Star Trek likes that movie. Yeah, exactly. It's fun and light and accessible. Yeah. And I think this could be, too. I think if you wanted to say you want a taste of some of Discovery, but you don't really want to get steeped in all the stuff, watch this one. Yeah. This is fun. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's it's fun. This is good. It's a good time. Star Trek can be fun. I like this guy. Oh, yeah. I want more I mean, of I hate this guy. Yeah. But, you know. And there were a lot of good callbacks. Oh, yeah. Like, at the end, one of the androids we see is wearing the, the ridiculous blue jacket that he's wearing in his uh, second appearance, mm-hmm. which is great. No, I, I really enjoy it. Like, that, that just, like, popped out of me. It's like, hey, it's that. Yeah. That's what Harry Mudd looks like. Yeah. I mean, you know, he should have a beard. He should have a big handlebar mustache. But, I, you know. The thing is, I can see, like, I can see oh, yeah. uh, the We're like 10 Rain years Wilson before. becoming classic Harry Mudd in about 10, 15 years. Yeah. No, and I, and I also, want him to. And also, like, I can see him sort of lightning by the time he gets to the guy that, like, but like I read an interview. I, I read an interview with him, and he was like, there was an edge to him. There always was. Sure. Well, look, he was a pimp in his first appearance. Yeah, who was not afraid to uh, murder people, as I recall. Yeah. Like, there's always been an edge to him. They've sharpened it a little mm. bit, but mostly in that episode where he completely failed to kill Lorca over and over again. Yeah. Like, well, look, that's the, the thing. He didn't completely fail. To, he he succeeded. In well, he did. Lorca he did succeed, but he ultimately fails. Yeah. Also, this episode takes place after that because one of the many charges against Mud is uh, penetrating a space whale. I have an excuse. You had, you had to be there. Uh, did you ever think mm-hmm. when we started doing this way back in 2010, you would ever hear the line penetrating a space whale? I'm going to say yes, but I also had a very vivid imagination back then. Uh, yeah, but I, I never thought Star Trek would match that. <laughs> Your imagination could come up with that. And maybe theirs could too, but they'd never put it on the air. No, of course not. Penetrating but, a space whale. But they did. Mm-hmm. Very good. Um, My bad thing is the fandom. Yeah. There was this tired article on one of the nerd news sites. I don't remember which now. And actually... The, I do remember the article I read was referencing another article. No, 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 no. This is good. All right. What I 
what I read was saying a lot of people are complaining about this. Here's why they're wrong. So ah, okay. the, ar- the article I read was okay, All right. but it was referencing another article, and I don't have that handy. I'm sorry. But there are people out there discussing, I know for a fact, mm-hmm. about how Harry Mudd shouldn't be able to make realistic androids because data doesn't exist yet. And it just reminded me again of all the people who complain about how not like Star Trek Discovery is when half the stuff they're complaining about is from Star Trek in the first place. Yeah. Like, Mud had androids that were indistinguishable from people in one of the actual original series episodes. This is, this is, uh, like, it's foreshadowing. Yeah. It's foreshadowing his mustache. <laughs> I And his androids. I, it's getting back to this certain type of fan that exists that, uh, that only remembers vaguely stuff from TNG and is just yeah. like, well, that's Star Trek. Motherfucker, I've watched every goddamn episode of Star Trek that exists. Yeah. It's fine. Who knows better what Star Trek is than us? Yeah. Who not only have watched, but also, like, examined and, and dissected and discussed every single hour this franchise has put out. Yeah, it's fine. There were, uh, th- and it, like, there were not just fucking androids in that that m- one mud episode. Oh, there no, were there were androids, androids all over. around all over the friggin' original yeah. series that were indistinguishable from from humans. You want to get into what like you want to get into like data being a more sophisticated android or oh, the first self-aware android. Yeah, and you want to make them special. Fine. Yeah. But you fucking a bunch of androids that think they're the real person, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Shut up, it's fine. Uh-huh. <laughs> Going into a bit of a David Mitchell rant there. Yeah. It's fine. It's all fine. It's demonstrably fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh I I will say to be clear, this fandom isn't nearly as insufferable or all-out toxic as as some others, m- most others. Star Trek fandom has been surprisingly not terrible. Like, there are people out there. There are of certainly there examples are. There out there. there always are. But... but when you look at uh, comics fans, Star Wars fans, oh. like, like, you know, there's, there's some rough stuff out Star there. Star Wars and, fans have been really holding the medal for the last couple of years. Yeah, but only relatively recently. Yeah. Like, I mean, they've always been out there, but the the real vocal bullshit has been the last couple of years. But what I'm saying is you don't really hear a swell of horrible, negative Star Trek fans. Just uh, bits here and there. At least not in the circles we move in. I Yeah, but I I notice these things. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm I'm sure something would slip past my radar. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, but if if it was mentioned anywhere, someone probably would have told us about it. Yeah. And it's nice to know. It could just be... No one's watching the fucking show because it's on a, it's behind a paywall. Yeah. And we're just not really a, a fandom much at all anymore. Yeah. I, I'd like to think maybe we're a little bit better. I don't know. Or we're just lucky. Yeah. But, and hey, if nothing else, at least Memory Alpha now has an entry for Cudgel. That's ex- that's exciting. Put it right next to it, Ladders. It's, 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 seriously. Because <laughs> I, I, um... I looked like I always do, and unfortunately, these are too new, and there's no real like behind the scenes uh, insights yet, which mm. is unfortunate. It's just basically plot summary. But then it links to all the things referenced, you know, on other pages, and someone created a fresh entry for Cudgel just ah. based on this. Yep. Uh, keep doing your thing, Memory Alpha. But stop deleting anytime Flunk puts up a joke entry. Yes, please do. Mm. Harold Kim, Cannon. Yep. Uh, Ask me how Kanar is made. <laughs> <laughs> what was your bad thing? I don't know what a jipper is. Well, Memory Alpha's got you there too, partner. Yeah, I looked it up. It's I still don't know what a jipper is. Now I just know what a picture of a jipper is. No, they they created an entry for it, but it's like citation needed. 
probably sipping chippers on a beach right now. That that was so great. Such a great fucking end. It's so the way, good. The way he like del- like so at the end you got like what eight or ten or twelve mud androids all saying exactly the same thing and shoved in a closet. Yeah, one of them's but- got missing an arm. One of them's sitting on another one, which I thought was really funny. <laughs> and they're all saying that line and with the exact same inflection and he gives it a weird inflection to kind of call attention to it which yeah. I like if I had any money at all I'd be sipping jippers on a beach right now and then the the new one chimes in it's really mm-hmm. good yeah no it was, it, I want more of this yeah like this and the last one together I mean all four of the shorts really but this and the last one together are so exactly what I thought they needed more of yeah. more hopefulness more levity yep and they got them. They did it. Good job, guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, I love the disco music. Oh, that was so good. Yep. That was and, all. If, if this episode hadn't been f- so funny, I w- that would have been my quote. That that just that disco music leading in was so good. Yep. Well, there's there's some at the beginning, and then it plays a couple of times through the episode, and then at the end, where that scene we're talking about, where they're all saying that line. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the music's under that too, and Amanda's like, "When is the dance remix of Sipping Jippers on a Beach right now?" <laughs> Oh, at the beginning, we have a, um, it ends up being mud in disguise, but yeah. uh, uh, big robot suited, like robot voiced uh, uh, thing that uh, Flonk says could be Disco's version of a Breen. Which I didn't catch right away, but like, yeah, that's. I'm I mean, down. it could be mud in the suit, but it's still a Breen suit. Yeah. We've seen plenty of humans and humanoids wearing their suits. He does that so, Breen like. Yeah, exactly. It's got that. Yeah. I like that. Mm hmm. Uh, the Tellerite guy, I think, was probably the best we've seen so far. Like, I particularly like the tusks. Yeah, I think they really nailed the uh, the look of them finally. It only took 50 it, years. Yeah, it doesn't look like a loose mask anymore. Also, he you, looks mentioned like a pig that, guy. you mentioned that he sounds like Freddy Krueger. And God, he completely does. It was driving me nuts for the entire... I was like, who the fuck does this guy sound like? It's like I'm surprised you didn't call that, like, like, notice that immediately. Oh, I know. And then, like, you wrote that down, like, welcome to prime time, bitch. Oh, yeah, that's it. Yep. Yeah. That's exactly it. Um, it it did like, and I liked the look of the Tellerite more or less, but it did make me realize the alien designs on Disco are pretty good, but every single alien is gross looking. I mean, all of them. You're not wrong. They're all craggy, veiny, bulbous, slimy. Like there should definitely be ugly aliens. There should be a lot of ugly mm-hmm. aliens. I'm not saying there shouldn't be, but not every single one. There should be some pretty ones, yeah, or some just weird looking ones, but. They're all just gross. Yeah. Like, uh, get, you know, give us something a little prettier. That's all I'm give saying. Give me something I, I want to fuck. I'm not saying I wouldn't fuck some of these. <laughs> but Not, um, not, old, say, not old tusks there, though. I, I will mean, say uh, this. I'll, I'll, take, I'll take weird, gross monsters over, you know. Uh, Brian was just watching uh, the Alan Moraine episode of DS9 this week, and it reminded me of the smear-faced aliens from that particular episode. I will yeah, take but, any of these grossos over that in a minute. But DS9, I mean, yeah, there were some egregious examples like that. But overall, there were some great aliens in the background at Quark. Oh, totally. I'm not, look, I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, uh, calling out DS9, but like, I am calling out Star Trek's history of shit aliens. Oh, no. Especially through Voyager. Voyager was about 50-50. Yeah. And then Enterprise mostly had bad ones. Yeah. Like, they, some, they had some okay ones. But, um... All I'm saying is give us somebody like Morn, who's mm. a little ugly, but not just like a steaming pile of what's it. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. 
I love that your example of an attractive alien is alien is Morn, the cow man. No, I'm saying still go a little ugly. Just not full on grotesque <laughs> is all. Morn, not not full on grotesque, raves Ron Algar Watt. Uh, Morn, I'd hit it. Let's just say that. <laughs> Look, all I'm saying is Tusky, like, you think teeth are bad. You don't want to be you don't want to be in the middle of like an intimate moment and go tusks tusks like no 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 sorry I bit your dick off yeah good thing I'm a Klingon I got two <laughs> also there was a and and you know again kind of a craggly grotesque looking thing but the the little uh, uh, alien woman bounty hunter mm-hmm. who said uh, like uh, mud makes a crack about her being short and yeah. she says I am of normal height that that's just Amanda. <laughs> That that character's just a man. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. Also, I loved um at one point he's going through all his various like uh let me try this. Nope, let me try this. He says, I'm with the resistance. Yep. And I love that because he's not specific about it. It's just a generic like there's always a resistance. You throw that out there and half the time someone's gonna say, Really the resistance? Because every planet has one of those. Looking forward to memory alpha being all like he was talking about the Maquis. No. No, he wasn't. It's, He's it, talking about the resistance. It's coming, though. You know it's yeah, coming. Know. You know how memory alpha I works. I do. Uh, anything else? I think that's everything. I didn't have a whole lot of qu- of uh, uh, notes for either of these, mostly partly because they're short and mostly because I was really enjoying them. Yeah, I I mean, I saw them a couple of times. Just like that's going to be how I have to do this is watch them once and then come back yeah. and take notes because <laughs> the first time I'm just, you know, reacting. I do have, I had an early front runner for my my quote before uh, the really good line hit, which mm-hmm. is uh, uh, the Tellarite listing off all of his crimes, and one of them is regicide, or attempted <laughs> regicide, and Mud goes, regicide, he was a duke. Yep. Which I thought was hilarious, and also was very attempted chemistry. <laughs> yep. There were there were a lot of, like, comedy lines like that, that were very classic comedy that I'd seen in other things, but... They were done very effectively he's here, just, so it's okay. He's very good. Like, I don't think I give he Rain. I, I don't want. I didn't watch a whole lot of The Office, so like, I'm not super familiar with with Rain Wilson. But he's. I mean, very I did, good. but I I saw pretty much all of it, and I liked him in that. But it's a very like, if you saw any of it, you know what that character is. Oh, it he's a completely different character than this. Yeah, yeah. I even I don't think I've seen him in anything else though. Mm-hmm. But, but I mean, you, you, if you saw any of The Office, you know, like you, you know, you didn't miss anything. The only other thing, I, the only other thing I've ever seen him in was uh, he gets chopped up in House of a Thousand Corpses. Ah, so, so he's he's corpse number like six. Or well, he's something? in it a little bit more than that. I believe he gets turned into a fish man by a freak show. But uh, oh. did he did he penetrate a space whale? Though? No, that did not happen. Ah, disappointing. Disappointing. All right. Well, that's all for this time. Yep. Um, and once again, we have completely uh, caught up and reviewed 100% of Star Trek yep. until next week. So we will be back next week with first de- first episode of Discovery. Yes. Uh, it is called Brother. Brother. Uh, it hey, is not brother. about Rom. Yeah. It's not about Rom or Buster Bluth <laughs> uh, or Lore. Mm-hmm. Any of those Presumably. famous brothers. It's, it's brothers pres- forgive uh, each other, Dave. Uh, damn it. You beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I'm pretty sure the, the brother in question is Spock. We'll uh-huh. see. Um, so look forward to that. Uh, if, and again, we're going to try to keep on these like as quickly as possible. If, if we fail, 
don't yell at us too hard. We'll we'll still keep up as you know. Yeah, like we're we're doing relatively. our best for God's yeah, sake. A day turnaround is a little yeah. you know a little much. So bear with us. Uh, that said, we're really we're gonna give it the old college dropout try. Mm. <laughs> Uh, if you want to write to us, the address is postatomichorror at gmail, the website postatomichorror.com, Tumblr, postatomichorror.tumblr.com. We are on Twitter at Algar, at Robot Matt. Um, oh, one other thing mm-hmm. I wanted to mention. Uh, we have begun writing uh, something that we are both very excited about. Yes. Uh, this is, um, we have spent the last eight and a half years talking about what we think Star Trek should be, what it should get right. Mm-hmm. What what you know what it's got wrong, uh, and we've decided to kind of put our money where our mouths are and write our own fanfic. Yeah, uh, this will not just be like text. We're going to produce it as an audio play. Mm-hmm. Like I've I've done a lot of these uh, over the years um, uh, with uh, local Seattle comedians and and a lot of people we know that are that are very good voice actors. Uh, so we will be writing and producing. Um, we're calling it Endeavor. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one should be dropping. I'm not going to commit to a date yet, but soonish. Yeah. Uh, uh, it will be out there for everyone. And after that, if you like what you hear, uh, we're going to be starting a Patreon, and it'll be like a rewards thing. You want to yeah. hear more episodes uh, to be available there. Uh, we're writing it together. Uh, it is not a parody. Uh, there's definitely comedic aspects to it. It's definitely a bit lighter. But uh, we but are it doing is... it. St- we are playing it straight. Yeah, it is serious Star Trek, like like we like mm-hmm. and. We sat down and made a big list of all the stuff we like in Star Trek and we want to see more of, and that's basically what it is. Mm-hmm. And super excited. There will be more details available about that when when they come available, but we're now ready to tell you that it is a thing that will be existing soon. We're, we're, we're in the midst of writing it and, and uh, casting it and such, and very excited for you to, to hear that. Yeah. So look forward to that. Uh, and that's all for this time. That's it. Uh, see you, folks. <laughs> The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Elgar Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2019. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.